This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Okay, so today we're sort of uh, sort of wrapping this up, uh, and what the Everyday Gospel series has been about is it has been about seeking to bring our faith and and put it on a ground level to really uh, to really experience truth and apply truth at a ground level. And as I've said, normally we do teach through passages of the Scripture. Some of these have been more surveys and topical in nature, and that's what uh, this message will be today as well. So we can easily think of discipleship as following Christ in the spiritual activities of our life. So it's easy to think this is part of discipleship, coming to church, right? It's easy to think that having a devotional time, reading your Bible or praying, that that's part of uh, discipleship. It's easy to think uh, reading the Bible to our kids or uh, having a Bible study with them is part of our discipleship. It's easy to think going on the men's retreat or uh, starting in a women's Bible study is part of discipleship. But we are called to follow Christ in all of life And that means that all of life really matters, even the mundane parts. And so in this series, what we did was we covered uh, various ordinary parts of our lives, like eating and sleeping and our money, how we use and spend our money, what we use it for, our leisure. Last week, we talked about our social media, and in some way, this really connects with what we talked about last week with social media, because today I want to talk about the idea of place and how God wants us to see the importance of where we live out our faith. So the other messages have largely been about how, you know, how do we glorify God through sleep? How do we glorify God through work? What does it look like to to, um, enjoy leisure for the glory of God? But this one's going to be different. Today I want to talk about where. It's another perspective of of sort of connecting Sunday faith to our everyday work life, our everyday living, our everyday playing, what we do uh, throughout the week. So I want you to start by thinking about your place. Think about the places where you are in a given week. Think about your home. Where is it you live? What does it look like? What's around you? Think about where you work is it, maybe that's the same place. If you're at home, maybe it's the same place. If you're caring for a home, it's the same place. But think about where you work. Think about where you recreate. Where is it that you do leisure? Think about the gym that you go to or the park that you take the kids to play in or that you walk around. Think about the place that you perhaps fish or play tennis or think about the place that you golf. Actually, don't think about that because that will be very frustrating if you think about golf. You'll be discouraged probably if, uh, if you're like me. So think about the places that you are. Think about where you hang out. Where is it you go if you're going to meet a friend? Where do you hang out? Think about this place where we gather for worship. Your place and your pl- or your places, are, that's where you are to live out your faith among people who share the same places. So you were called to a place, multiple places, but you were called to places 
where other people are, and that you are called to walk out your faith there. So place, the idea of place, has a lot to do with mission. It has to do with faithfulness. It has to do with following Christ where we are today, not where we want to be, maybe one day, but it's where we are today. But it has a lot to do with mission because where we are, God has ordained for us to be around certain places, around certain people. So to think about the idea of place, we began in Genesis 1. And we see in Genesis 1, the creation account, that God, Genesis 1 is a universal creation, literally. He's creating the universe. God creates all that exists. But in Genesis 2, we find that God creates uh, man, he creates Adam and Eve, and he locates them in a place. This is so important because they are different than God. God is everywhere present at once. Theologically, we call that omnipresent, God's omnipresence. He reigns over all, but humans are different. We are spatial creatures. We are material creatures that live in a material world that has borders and limitations. You can only, you can only be in one place at one time, and he assigns them a place, a local defined existence and a place. It's called the Garden of Eden. And so Genesis 2, 15 says this, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So the first couple are given not only a task, work, which we spent a whole message on that, They're not only called to work, but they're called to a place. They are called to cultivate in a place. They are called to be faithful in a place. They are called to produce in a place. They are called to relate in a place. One author says, we look at Genesis 2 here and we realize that we are hardwired for place. That's part of being a human, is that we are located in a place. And we see this is not only the beginning of the story. I'm, I'm going to trace the whole Bible today. Uh, we're going to see that this is not only at the beginning of the story, but this is at the conclusion of the story as well. Because the story begins in a garden, a place, and it ends in a city, the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the new earth, in the concluding chapters of the book of Revelation. So you could take place and view it as a central storyline throughout the Bible, uh, which is sort of what we're going to do right now. In, in chapter 3, what happens, so one, universal creation, two, uh, creation of, the, of man and woman and placing them with a task and a command to obey God in a task in a garden. Chapter 3, they disobey God, they eat from the tree they were commanded to avoid, they rebel against God, and their, their rebellion results in a number of curses, which we've talked about already in this series as well. But one we didn't talk about, which is rarely talked about, we always talk about death as the curse of death from their disobedience, that we're all born to die, we're all born uh, and will die. Judgment, we're all born to face judgment. So those are central and, and important. We want to talk about those. But one change that is underemphasized when we consider judgment is that Adam and Eve were driven from their place. They were cast out from a place, and this starts a theme that runs throughout the Bible. So Genesis 3, after the curse, it says this, 3.23, Therefore the Lord God sent him, her as well, sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. 
And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Have you ever thought about that, that one of the most devastating effects of the fall is the loss of place, where they were created to flourish and prosper in communion with God. They are no longer permitted in the garden. Theologian Craig Bartholomew says, human identity is deeply bound up with place. And in Genesis 3, displacement is at the heart of God's judgment. Displacement is at the heart of God's judgment. And the Hebrew people that originally read this scripture, and most people from the ancient Near East, and many people throughout the world today, would totally get that. They would read that and say, wow, part of the curse is you became placeless. You became displaced. And that would have brought a deep angst among many people in the world, and historically, certain, the, certainly the Hebrews, because flourishing in life is tied to being rooted in a place. But we, notice the language, we quickly uproot from a place. We call it moving, but it is an uprooting that happens. We live in a hypermobile society. We live in one of the most mobile societies, there's about three countries that we're kind of almost tied with, in, in, the, in the transience and the moving nature of our, cult, of our culture. The average American moves about 14 times in their lifetime. And this is very convicting because I was telling my wife about this message and she got down and jotted out that since we've been married, we've moved 13 times in our marriage. I met someone this week that's approaching retirement a couple, and they told me we've moved 24 times in our marriage. And now we're really wanting to, to dig into community in their retirement years because the, that, the sense of placelessness that has been about their existence. So I'm going to say some strong things today, I think, at the end, especially about place and a calling to a place. Um, but if you feel like I'm pointing a finger at you, I'm going to go ahead and say I've got three pointing right back at me because I have not been stellar. I, we've lived here 12 years, I've, including temporary housing. We've lived in four places in Frisco, two that we've rented and two that we've owned. So I have not, uh, I've been in the same city all that time, but not in the same place all that time. Biblically, loss of place is significant, and we play with it like it means nothing. Genesis 2 and 3 set the trajectory for the, all of the Old Testament because what has happened is God emplaced a people, E-M-P-L-A-C-E-D, emplaced, that's the verb to place, he emplaced them in the garden and they are now displaced. And the pursuit of a new place, a land where God will give them, where they will commune with him, that drives the rest of the Old Testament narrative. In fact, it's an appropriate theme that you could read the entire history of, of redemption this way, that God creates man and they are emplaced in a location to fellowship and live with him. Because of sin, they are displaced from that location and they await a savior who will redeem them and return for them and one day replace them in a new environment, a new heavens and a new earth. Replace meaning to restore, to put back to replace in that sense. Emplacement, displacement, replacement. That's the story of the Bible in three place words. For even when we are rooted in a place now, the reality is until the, our ultimate 
place with God in the new heavens and the new earth, we, we always feel a sense of displacement. Even now, there's a sense of exile, a sense of longing for home, a sense of even if you live in the same place and know the same neighbors and live with the same Christians in the same church community, for decades, there's still a longing for something else. And that's that placement that was originally lost, that fellowship with God personally that was broken and that longing to be with him face-to-face that resides in all of us. Well, the next major move in the redemptive history is they, uh, that bad things happen after Adam and Eve, uh, their children, one of their children commits murder, uh, things get out of control, God destroys uh, all mankind except Noah and his family. Uh, they, uh, after that, they rebuild society and they build the Tower of Babel and that's a mess. People are uh, it's, it's just a total mess. So what God does in chapter 12 is he calls a man named Abram, who's later Abraham, and he says this to him. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord God said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he comes to this man who's not even a follower of him, Abram. And he says, look, I'm calling you. I'm going to build a people through you. And what you're not only going to have generations of people, you're going to have a location. You're going to have a place. It's going to be a land that I'm going to give you. And through there, I will be worshipped. A temple will be built there ultimately. It will be a light to the nations. And from you, all the people of the earth will be blessed because Jesus will come from him and from his line. And ultimately, everyone will be blessed who knows Jesus eternally. So what happens is he sends this guy Abraham out and a lot of the, uh, the rest of the book of Genesis is his generations that follow him. We find that the, God's people produce, multiply, grow. They get enslaved in Egypt. After 400 years there, they are miraculously delivered. They want, so they are in a foreign land. Then they wander placeless again in the desert, and finally God opens the door for them, and they come into their land that God has provided for them. Uh, They are emplaced in a new land. Uh, They build a temple ultimately under King Solomon, and there is a central place where God's people are worshiping him, living under his law as a light to the nations, and they are thriving. But all is not well, because even though they are physically emplaced, they are spiritually wrestling with displacement, and they begin to look for other gods. And so the history of Israel is that they are ever up and down, up and down, worshiping other gods, disregarding God's law, coming back to him back and forth. So what God does is he sends a series of prophets to warn them that judgment is coming if you don't repent and come back to me. The loving God of the universe has covenanted with them. He has made them a people. He has given them a land and a temple to worship in. And he says, look, Judgment is coming if you continue to worship other gods and act in ways that do not reflect God's law. So what does he do? Well, he allows the enemy to come in. Their city is ransacked. Their temple is destroyed. And they are taken to a new place. They are displaced again into exile where they live under the godless nation of Babylon. God miraculously returns them to their place after a season away of repentance, and they rebuild 
their city. That's what we're going to study in the book of Nehemiah. They rebuild their city. They rebuild their temple. And they await God sending his Savior, his Messiah, which he promised from the very beginning when they were first displaced. So it's a, it's a story that while the overall story is emplacement and displacement and replacement, that that story takes place cyclically throughout the Old Testament. That, that is not just the overall arc of the Bible story. That is the micro experience in each chapter of their history. Well, ultimately, the Savior does come in the coming of Jesus. We find God coming among his people. Oh, what a great verse is John 1. John starts his gospel this way. And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt is a place word. So now God has not just emplaced his people. God is coming to their place. He is coming to be among them. Uh, The idea that that's a place word, that God comes to us, is really freshly brought out in Eugene Peterson's uh, translation. When he translates the message, or rather, when he paraphrases the message, this is what he says. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So God comes, the very presence of God, dwelling in the God-man fully, Jesus Christ, and he moves into the neighborhood. He incarnates, he takes on flesh, and he comes to a place among a people. We talked about this last week. He didn't just, you know, sort of write it in the sky, believe in Jesus, or I love you, or he didn't just sort of drop leaflets uh, from, you know, from the sky with messages to believe. He takes on flesh because we are people who are material and are of a place, and he comes to our place to demonstrate the love of God. He dies. He, well, let's start off. He's born in a real place, Bethlehem. He grows up and works a job in a place, Nazareth. He dies on Golgotha, a hill, a real place, and he rises from a real tomb, real places. After his death, burial, and resurrection, he ascends to the Father. He pours out his spirit on us, and then he gives this commission. Now, this is telling. I'm I'm not reading too much into this. The Bible is filled with place. He doesn't just say, okay, go love everybody on three. Ready, hands in, ready, break. And everybody runs off and loves. No, he's very specific. He says in Acts 1, at 1.8, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they are. And in all Judea and Samaria, the surrounding areas, and to the end of the earth. You're going to start in your place where you are, and I'm going to work there. And then from there, the message is going to move out to other places where people will hear this message. And as the gospel spreads in the book of Acts, what happens? People believe, churches are planted, and the kingdom takes root in people's lives who follow Christ together in the places that they live where he has called them to be. So in a sense... I think we could say Jesus is still moving into the neighborhood. He's doing it by his spirit in his people who are being rooted in neighborhoods and workplaces and recreational spots. He he is moving into the neighborhood by his spirit through his people, his church, to be a light to the nations. He is still doing that. He is, we are to be incarnational, so to speak. There's only one incarnation. But if we could use that, we could say we are, to, to, we are to, to live out the reality of the gospel before others. 
That's why the New Testament is not made up primarily of just general theological letters, general theological documents. I said that wrong. It's not made up of random theological documents. It is rather made up of letters which are written to specific people into specific places. And one of the the primary first step of Bible interpretation is understanding that context, understanding those people as much as we can, understanding what's going on there as we read the letter, what's happening so that we can piece together a story of a people and what they were like and what their city was like and what their culture was like so that we understand a people and a place that God's addressing. That's why the letters in the New Testament are written to to the church in Corinth. This is written to real people in a place, to the church in Thessalonica. Or as Peter writes, to those in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's writing to real people in real locations that are rooted in an environment that are not mobile like our society, that aren't working and, and, and doing their business on GoToMeeting, uh, you know, doing a video presentation and flying here and flying there and, you know, sort of living one place and working somewhere. This, they had an integrated life. These are people that didn't move much at all. The cities of the New Testament are not like the cities now. Most of them were about 50,000 people or less, and they lived in very tight confines. I know we live in a different world. But, but they lived in very tight confines. And, 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 a, and, and a, a synagogue, for instance, would be built no farther than three-quarters of a mile from where the entire population would live in an area because you couldn't walk more than that on a Sabbath day. So everybody lived in walking distance to the synagogue they lived in. So these are people that God is applying the truth to one another's and people that are living up on top of each other in one another's face in daily, daily life. Again, we live in a different culture, spread out, modern times. I get all that, but that, there's something valuable about what was going on uh, to the church in those cities See, the New Testament, we can kind of think, well, the Old Testament's really about place, Israel and Jerusalem and a temple, but that's not important in the New Testament. I would argue just the opposite. It's very important in the New Testament because the gospel isn't just generally going out. It's going out to every tribe, every nation, every people, every tongue. It's going out to locales where people can hear the gospel and then build their lives together in a local church in an area, and that both corporately and individually, they can be a difference where they are. We are the body of Christ. We are representing him where we are. One author said, Christ's work continues today through the church, the body of Christ, through communities of believers who are faithfully rooted in their places, embodying Christ in ways that can be experienced and known by the particular people who live in those places. People rooted in Christ, joined together, built into a place so that those around can say, oh, that's what it's like. That's very different than what I saw on the Christian television channel. This is real life happening here. I get that. I can see that. The gospel makes sense in proximity. It makes sense when it's lived out among a people that you bump up against and that you know and have a name that you're aware of. Place matters. 
See, the, the gospel is not that he's physically separating us out of the world and cloistering us together as a church, but he's calling us to take deep root in our places so that people in our places know Jesus, can experience him through our lives. And we do that through everyday life of working, playing, eating, living out regular lives, faithfully present, not avoiding, but faithfully present in the places God has placed us. And we do that together. We do that together. And while we're doing this, what's happening? Well, God's working through us. God is reaching people with the gospel. And the Bible says, Jesus says he's doing something else at the same time. As he's working in our place, we keep our eyes on this place, but we keep our hope built in another place. Because this is what Jesus says in John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. So Jesus tells his disciples, as you are locating, in, well, they were mobile, spreading the gospel as apostles, but as you are located in a place, as you are living your life for the glory of God, where he has put you in the relationships he has afforded you, while you are doing that, keep an eye on me realizing that in the difficulty of it all, in the hopelessness of it all, in the discouragement of it all that we're all tempted with, keep your eye on me and know that I'm preparing a place that will be for you eternal. We're given a metaphorical picture of it at the end of Revelation, a place where, where there's no sun, there's no need of light because the glory of God, uh, the effulgent presence of God engulfs the new heavens and the new earth with his, his glorious light and presence. Jesus says, I'm preparing that place for you. And so while I am, you get rooted in the place where you are because there the gospel will be fruitful. Let me make a little bit of an application. That's a, the, uh, that's a biblical theology of place. That's an overview of the Bible and what the Bible says about place. How, how do we take those truths and apply them very simply in our own lives? Well, here's the first application. Know your place. Know your place. I, I don't mean don't be arrogant by that. Know your place, young man. I'm not saying that, uh, though that's probably good counsel too. But know your place. In the book Slow Church, which the title alone is glorious, we live in a word, how fast is the church growing? Rapid movement, it's happening. Slow Church, I love that. In the book Slow Church, the authors say this, place, like all things in life, is a good gift from our God. Our calling is to come to know our places in ways that reveal God's gifts to us and that evoke in us a deep gratitude and rejoicing. I agree with that. We are to come to know where we are and the people, that's the emphasis really, the people where we are so that we see our place where God has put us. We see it as a gift. It's a good gift. And that builds a gratitude and rejoicing. Are you grateful for your place? Are you grateful where you live, where you work, where you play? If not, 
it may be because you don't really know your place well enough to see God at work all around you. Because I believe that if we know where God is placed and we know the people and the culture, we know where we are, we're rooted, I, be, I believe we will see God at work if we stop and open our eyes. Do you know your place? Do you know your apartment complex? Do you know your neighborhood? Let's be specific. Do you know your neighbors? Some of us need to go back to Sesame Street. Who are the people in your neighborhood? They're in your neighborhood. They're in your neighborhood. Who are the people in your neighborhood? They're the people that you meet when you're walking down the street. They're the people that you meet each day. Do you know the people in your neighborhood? Do you know your school? If your kids are in school, are you rooted in your kids' school? Do you know the teachers? Do you know the parents? Are you involved in what's happening there? How about your workplace? Oh, man, I get out of there as soon as I can. Really? Is that what the Lord wants? Has God put you in your workplace to get in with your head down just to crank out and produce like a machine and then leave? I believe you should produce faithfully, but that's not the only reason you were there. You were there to serve others, which is a primary reason that you were in your job. Do you make an effort to get to know your coworkers? Well, you don't know my coworkers. Well, you don't know mine. They're great, but they're great. I'm teasing. Do you don't know them? Do you listen? Do you know the story of your coworker? Could you tell their story? Do you know about their family? Do you know about their hopes and their dreams and their burdens? Do you listen to them? Do you draw them out? Do you say, this is where God has placed me. This is, this is where I'm to be faithful. This is where I'm to express love. It's easy to say, love your neighbor in a generic sense. Your neighbor is one cubicle over. Your neighbor is the person that you are meeting with. Your neighbor is the person that you are working with. Do you love your neighbors? Author Wendell Berry said, we we are called to love the neighbors we have, not the neighbors we wish we had. It's easy to love the neighbors I wish I had. It's very difficult sometimes to love the neighbor. Do you, do you know this? So work and home, do you know those areas? How about third places? Where you go when you are not at work and not at home? Maybe you go to a coffee shop regularly. Do you know the people there? Do you know the regulars there? Do you know the people who work there if you go there regularly? Maybe it's your park. Maybe you go to a park. Maybe you go to a gym. Do you know the people there? Do you know anything about anybody there, who, people who work there, people who train there. See, God doesn't just care about the church. God cares about this a lot. Gave his son for us. He cares about this, but God cares about the places. We're not randomly located in a generic place that could be any place. No, you're, you are in the place God has called you. Acts 17 actually says that, that God ordained before time the places that we would live. That God has you in your place, and do you know it? That requires effort, but it's worth the effort because it matters where he's placed us. Once you slow down and take notice where God has placed you, the relationships you have, and the potential relationships that he has provided, you will begin to thank him, and I believe you'll see your environment in a different way. Someone called this devoting your context to God. We should devote our hearts to God, but that feels very ethereal. And yeah, my heart's for you, Lord. I can say that. My heart's for you, Lord. 
That means that where I live and where I work, I'm expressing love for you and faithfulness to you in that context with those people. It's gritty. It's life on life. It's difficult. It's easy to buzz in and buzz out of the workplace and of the neighborhood as well. So know your place. Number two, engage your place. Engage your place. In the only book title to me that I read recently that's better than Slow Church, I'm not good at titles, so I love it when somebody has a good title. The best title I've read besides Slow Church is Staying is the New Going. Staying is the New Going. In that book, uh, Alan Briggs talks about excuses for why he wouldn't engage his place, why he wouldn't engage his neighborhood. He writes this, I don't mean to brag, but as a pastor and a neighbor, I am extremely gifted in finding excuses. I pulled out all the best ones of why he wasn't going to engage with those around him in his neighborhood. We won't live in this house very long. They won't live here very long. They'll think we're weird. Approach them, talk to them. We have nothing in common. Look around your neighbors or coworkers and think, I don't have anything in common with these people. God knew that when he placed us there. I don't have time to add one more thing. They don't have time to hang with us. I mean, I'll scare them off the minute I mention Christ. And he says, and my favorite, everyone in the world is my neighbor. Why should I focus on my actual neighbors? Everyone's my neighbor. Everyone's my neighbor. And that imaginary everyone is so much easier to love than my actual neighbor. This is telling. He says, perhaps you're a master of excuses too. Where do they come from? My excuses were motivated by three things. Fear of failure. Can you relate to that? If I engage where I am, if I get rooted with the people where I am, it won't go well. Fear of failure. Number two, a life that was too busy. If I'm too busy to engage the place where God has put me, I'm too busy. Something needs to change in my life. And number three, a consumeristic view of the place I occupied. I'm not here to serve, I'm here to take. I'm not here to extend myself, I'm here to be blessed by others. Those are my excuses. Fear failure, life's too busy, consumeristic view. Engage your place. How can we start engaging our place? It probably starts with the attitude. What is my attitude? I don't like these people. These people are really sinful. I don't like them. These people are unrelatable. I'm not going to be here long. I'm, I moved job to job. I've never been in a job more than 18 months, so why put down any relational roots here? I'm too busy. What is the attitude? I'm too busy. I don't have time. It'll pull away from my marriage and my parenting. I can't. So you're asking me to be really involved in the church and involved in my neighborhood or workplace as well. It's got to be one or the other. I pick church. I don't think it has to be one or the other. I don't think it can be one or the other. So it starts with an attitude. Secondly, I think we can start engaging our places. Here's a very simple step. Something that's been helpful to me is to begin with a prayer walk. Now that sounds not very rooted and super spiritual, doesn't it? I think it's the best thing. Get up and move. Walk through your neighborhood, walk around your apartment complex, walk in the area and pray. Get, you are physical. Place is physical. So move in your place. Hopefully the weather's going to start cooling down after this week, and it'll be easy to do that. So walk in your place and ask God to open your eyes to the people all around you. 
God will answer that prayer. Walk around and ask God to open your eyes. What are the needs? Where is the brokenness? What can you observe? Well, there was nobody. I did it once and there was nobody out. Do it again and again. Make it regular. Walk and pray. Walk your, look around. Walk your park. If you go to a park regularly, walk around there. If you go to a coffee shop regularly, probably don't walk around in there, but sit and watch and pray. Take a morning just to sit and watch and observe. Journal. Pray. What's going on in there? Listen. If you just sit and listen, you will hear the baristas talk about, if you sit long enough, because I've heard it, you will hear them talk about the problems and the challenges of their lives. Listen. If you work at a place that has a campus and it's doable, maybe walk around at your lunch break. Walk around where you are. Don't walk around in the office like, hey, what are you doing? Just praying. You know, don't do that. But just sit at your desk and look around if you work in an office environment and pray. But it's particularly powerful where you live. What, what will come up? Who will you meet? I, I guarantee you will meet someone. What will you learn? If you have a porch, sit on it. I, we have a porch, and I've met a lot of people just sitting on my porch. People just walk by, hey, how's it going? Oh, yeah, people willing to talk, make a comment about their kid, make a comment about their dog. I'm not trying to do some slick sales presentation. I can do these three steps, and then I can get to the gospel. I'm, no, it's, hey, where do you live? How long have you been here? Just looking. Sometimes it's just a wave. A wave, cars driving by. I live at a stop sign, waving to people. Who's that obnoxious old man on the corner over there? <laughs> Let's go a different route. But I've met people, I've actually found out about things in people's lives sitting on my porch. Now, many of us don't have that. Don't, I've never had a porch. I found that since having a porch, I sit on the porch a lot more than when I didn't have one. But most of the time, I've never really, I don't know, I think years ago, house number three, we lived had a porch. But most places I've lived at don't, and most of our places don't. We have, we have life in the backyard where it's fenced and we don't have to see anybody. That's our culture. We don't live on a, but if you live where you have a porch, sit on it. In his book, Staying is the New Going, Briggs says, the place you already live is the most obvious but most overlooked place to start ministry. The most obvious place to extend the love of Christ. And I'm all for short-term mission trips. We do them. I've been on them. It's the easiest place to extend the love of Christ. I don't know these people. I'm there for a week. Yes, it's hot, sweaty, I'm, I'm not getting sleep, I'm eating things I'm not used to. Yes, I got sick at my stomach. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there's culture shock. Yes, it's all, yes, all that. There's challenges in short-term mission work, but I'd say they don't, they pale in comparison to the challenges of loving the neighbor that I live with and work with all the time. It's easy to overlook. I'm involved in ministry. I'm going up to the church building and doing ministry. Yes, we're doing ministry right now, doing children's ministry right now. Fantastic. But there's more. There, there's the easiest place to start ministry is where I am right now. We often think of ministry as out there. It's a long way away or it's up at the church or it's when I get my life together. It's when our marriage gets fixed or it's when I know a little bit more of the Bible. No, it's right now, right in the place where God has put you. You are the one that he wants rooted there so that the life of Christ flows through you. Right where you are. 
And, and when we get faithful right where we are, our, again, our eyes open and our, our hearts change, I believe. Secondly, I would say be intentional by doing as much life as possible in your place. We, we drive everywhere in this culture. We're a driving culture. That's not going to change anytime soon, certainly not because I preached one message on it. But, uh, but seek to own your place. Regularly go to the same regular places where you are. But there's like a lot cooler parks elsewhere. Okay, visit those, but regularly go to your park. There's a lot cooler stuff in Dallas. We don't live in Dallas. Well, you may, but, but most of you don't. So I don't care where there's a lot cooler stuff, and it all looks cooler until you're there in it all the time, then it's familiar. But you're not building relationships with people who live in cool places. You're building relationships where you live. Okay? Well, th- this really amazing restaurant, great. Go visit the really amazing restaurant, but regularly dine in your place Walk the same path, visit the same places, know the people where they are. This is the key to being fruitful as an individual and as a church is to to work your place, involved in your place already. Look for what is going on where you are, among the people where you are. See what God is doing already there that you could step into. There's people right around us whose marriages are crashing, who's struggling with addictions, who are pursuing paths of, uh, of materialism and consumerism, whose hope is in a nationalism or a political party that's going to change everything and, and, and make everything different. All kinds of misplaced hopes everywhere, and their lives are threadbare, and we're in their presence, and we don't even know because I'm scattered going to all these places and all this and all that, and when I do have downtime, well, let's go over there. I don't even know. I don't even know. So think about how this applies to you. Know your place. There's a lot of other ways to know your place, but I just mentioned that. Engage your place. There's a lot of other ways to engage, but start with observation and prayer. That's a great place to stop. And lastly, and I realize this point steps on some toes. It steps on mine. It's going to step on yours. Stay in your place. Know your place. Engage your place. Stay in your place. I love this quote, effectiveness almost always grows over time while rooted in a place. There is a direct correlation between how long we are in a place, faithfully living like Jesus, and the impact we will have on people. It's true. In most cases, God can move in revival. God can move in a chance meeting. God can move in a divine appointment, absolutely. But in most cases, the normal way of life is that fruitfulness is tied to long-term faithfulness. That's true in a neighborhood. That's true in a job. That's true in a church. Relationships take time. Community is built slowly. Trust builds with familiarity. I'm not saying it's wrong to take a new job. I'm not saying it's wrong to move. I told you my story. I'm not saying it's wrong to move. I'm not saying it's wrong, again, to get a new job. I'm not saying it's wrong to quit your gym and join another. I did that in the last year. I'm not saying that these are sinful actions or that they are unacceptable by any stretch. There are good reasons. There, There are good reasons to move. You're renting and you're a young couple, a young single, and you're about to buy your first house. Okay, that's going to involve a move. Or you, now your kids are all gone, now you're going to downsize financially. That's a good reason to move into a different, so there are reasons. There are reasons 
But here's what I want to challenge us with. I don't think there's as many good reasons as our culture says. And I think it has to be weighed against long-term fruitfulness. Am I living as a consumer what's best for me? Or am I saying, how can I live my life to be a blessing to others in the place that God has placed me? We live in a culture of radical individualism. And so we don't even think about how our decisions and how our place affects others, how the Lord wants to use us where we are. And that takes rootedness and that takes depth. And I want to talk about this later, not today, but I want to talk about what difference that makes for us as a church. Rootedness and depth in the community is key to long-term faithfulness and gospel witness in the community. The same is true with a life. Let me give you a church application. This fits in church as well. I read a story about a guy named Will. This is what the story I read. Will told me a a story of relocating his family to be part of a church that takes community seriously, community within the church. After a year in the new location, he met with one of the pastors to talk about how things were going. Life was good, Will reflected, and he was grateful for the welcome that he and his family had received at the new church. But, but, He wasn't sure that he was experiencing the community he had expected. Frankly, Will had hoped for more. The pastor listened to his misgivings and then asked how long Will and his family had been there. About a year, he replied. Then, I guess you've got about a year's worth of community, his pastor said, matter-of-factly. Stay another year and you'll have two years worth of community. Stay 30 years and you might find some of what you're looking for. It's a provocative statement to make a point, but a point that we should say is well taken, well made. Relationships take time. The idea the grass is greener and I'm going to have a new neighborhood that's going to be different with new people. The biggest continuation between this neighborhood and that neighborhood is me. I'm going to find a new church, and it's going to be bigger and better and different and, or smaller and better or whatever. I'm going to find a new job. It's going to be different. Hey, you take yourself to the new job. You take yourself to the new church, and you literally uproot everything you've built in that context already. Is it sinful to move? No. But we should consider the uprooting, and if we move, it should be for the intention of rooting elsewhere. Move to another church, it's so I can root more deeply. Move to another neighborhood, I'm going to root there. Move to a new job, I'm going to build roots, I'm going to own my place. Again, you're taking you with you, and you're not going to be a new you because you got a new zip code and a new desk. But um, but we need to consider that long term. We don't think this way. God thinks generationally. We sang this today. Being praised upon, no, being throned upon the praises of a thousand generations. God's eternal. So he's looking at thousands of generations. We're looking at next weekend and next year and the new situation here and the brighter opportunity over there. Fight the temptation to believe real life is somewhere else, doing something else, recreating in a different place, working in a different place, worshiping in a different place, living in a different apartment complex, I had a conversation one time with a national Christian leader 
I don't have many of those, but I did this one time. Someone most of you would know, or many of you would know, not in Sovereign Grace. And uh, this individual was noted for, he, he speaks internationally, really all over the world, well-known, author, writes books, speaks internationally. And at the time I was talking with him, this is a number of years ago, he was uh, living on the road, and this is what he's speaking, and this is what he said to me. He was middle-aged. He said, I've always thought that I could have the most impact with my life if I could speak to as many people as possible and get my books into the hands of as many people as possible that I'd have the greatest impact. He said, I now think my life would have the greatest impact if I was in one location with one people rooted for the long term. He was saying it after decades of the other. That's one guy and one calling, but there's something there. Real life is found in applying the gospel where I am now, not daydreaming about what might be one day. Reliable in the workplace, involved in the school, involved in the sports league, faithful. Faithful is not vague. Faithful is concrete. Faithful is where's my place Do I know my place? Am I engaged in my place? And until God speaks elsewhere, I mean, until God speaks to me to do something else, I'm staying in my place. Knowing my place, engaged in my place, and I'm staying here unless the Lord makes it clear I'm to be living somewhere else, working somewhere else, worshiping somewhere else. Anticipating the day Christ will come. So we stay in our place, faithful, look for long-term fruit, always with an eye anticipating the day will come when he will return for us and take us to the place he has prepared for us. And may there be much fruit, fruit that remains, because we build deeply and meaningfully in the places that he placed us over the context of our lives. Let's pray. Let's devote our context to God. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at Grace Church Frisco dot o-r-g